Welcome to Book Strong Podcast, hosted by my man, Matthew Christie. We got a fun one here today with Dr. Rachel Pajetnik with bonus content at the end. The articles are posted in the description, and if you like what you've heard, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Bookstrong Podcast and recommend the show to a friend. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Dr. Rachel Pajetnik. In case you're wondering, who is Dr. Pajetnik? Let me tell you. Dr. Pajetnik is Assistant Professor and Program Director of Exercise Science at Norwich University. Dr. Pajetnik received her doctorate from Tufts University, got a postdoctoral fellowship from Harvard Medical School. She worked as an instructor at Flywheel Sports, a nutrition performance specialist at O2X, and now currently works at Norwich University. She has dedicated much of her recent time to teaching and research on CBD. Thank you for joining me, Rachel. Happy to be here. So today we are looking at CBD and its effects on athletes and its effects on recovery. There are five articles that we looked at. The, the links will be in the description. Um, we looked at observational studies, looking at the dangers of using it, we looked at a narrative review, assessing the positive effects of it, as well as two randomized controlled trials, uh, assessing CBD in low doses. So I'll start off with a big question. What is CBD? That is the million dollar question, I right. think. So CBD is short for cannabidiol or cannabidiol, depending on who you're talking to. And this is a molecule that you can extract from both cannabis and hemp plants, which interestingly, and people don't really know this, but cannabis and hemp are actually the same plant. Um, they come from the same family of, um, of plants. And hemp just has 0.03% or less of THC, so tetrahydrocannabinol, which is the other well-known molecule in mostly cannabis that makes you feel that high feeling. But in hemp and in these extracts for CBD in these products, there is no THC. So you just get this CBD molecule. And right now, and this is kind of crazy given that we have so many products on the market, we don't really know how it works. So it's this really interesting molecule that has a couple of properties that are kind of hyped to be, um, you know, they, they help you to sleep or it can help you to relax or it can perhaps improve recovery, but we don't really know how it works. And that is kind of the crazy part. Right. And that's the, that's the power of marketing over promising without any research behind it, which is why I want to talk about this. So just to clarify, you said that hemp contains less THC? Yeah, pretty much hemp is going to take, contain about no THC. Can It can have about as much as 0.03%, but when you get these can, cannabidiol or CBD products, um, usually there's no THC in it because there's a pretty um, in-depth processing uh, that has to happen in order to extract the CBD from the plant. That may have just answered something I've been wondering, but if THC were legal in sports, do you think CBD would be as popular or 
uh, have such a demand? Yeah, if THC were legal in sports, we'd have a lot of high athletes around. But um, <laughs> I think I think that there's something going on here that's that is part of the supplement world in general. And so this is how I came up. I was trained in vitamin D, and I look at supplements and muscle in general is that people are really fascinated with what we call reductionist science, which is basically what does this one teeny tiny molecule do? And one of the things that we know in the nutrition literature is that these molecules don't tend to work very well alone. They work really well when you combine them with other things. And so it might be that CBD and THC work best together. The problem is that this THC is gonna give you that high feeling, which mm -hmm. is, you know, not ideal in most right. situations. Um, so if it were legal, I think, I think it, people would still be interested in CBD because it has a very different property and it can do different things in your body. Right. The way I see it as more of a lay person, people look at CBD as something that they see as something that will relax you and help you sleep or help you recover better, which is what I think a lot of people look for in THC. Now, if that's actually true, I'm not sure, but I know that marketers and the way that these products get put on the market is, it's almost like it's THC without being THC. You, you might not get high or you won't get high, but you'll get all the good effects of relaxation or positive sleep, which I'm not sure if that's true, right? Yeah, so this is the big question, right? And I think that you discovered this when you started to dig around in the literature, which is why I'm doing a lot of the research that I'm doing, is that there's almost no data on this whatsoever. Right. So not only do we not know exactly how it works, but we also don't have any good proof to show that it's doing the things that the marketers are saying that it's doing. Right, which is insane considering it's a $2.8 billion industry in 2020 alone. And growing. And growing. So the first two papers, those were the observational studies. Um, they essentially, one was a German study, which had a pretty astonishing number I want to get to, but this was published in 2019. They were saying the risk that they were concerned about the risk for athletes taking tainted CBD products. Do you think this is a legitimate risk? 100%. So I think here's the thing that's interesting about the supplement industry, and this is where kind of the CBD world overlaps with the supplement industry at large, is that it is a very, very unregulated space. So most, it's interesting, most of the ingredients that come for, for supplements, so things like vitamins or minerals or herbs or whatever, are actually sourced in China, which is not a problem in and of itself. But what that means is that there is, you know, four or five different steps that happen before this becomes a pill or a powder or a shake that you take. And so it's really interesting in this space, particularly with CBD, because pretty much anybody in the world can call up a formulator that's in the United States and say, I want to make a product with CBD. Can you get me some CBD? Can we make a product together? And so there's just very little regulation between the sourcing of the actual ingredient and the product that's being made. And that's where we start to see a significant amount of contamination. And it might not be that the contamination is necessarily harmful. So it could be that there's heavy metals in there or something like that, that could be problematic. But the other thing, particularly with athletes, is there are 
products that are going to make athletes feel better that are on banned substances lists. So if right. you think about as an athlete, you take a drug test, whether it's at a university or God forbid at the Olympics, which is happening in, you know, this week, if you test positive, you are eliminated from that sport. And I think that's the main risk is making sure that there's really thorough third-party testing in any products that you're taking because there could potentially be that contamination. Right. And if you're this high-level athlete, the reward to risk-benefit is not there because, for one, we don't have the research to even prove that this stuff actually works. It's exactly right. And if you take it looking for that relaxation, that recovery, and you end up getting it, but it's from a product that is going to get you in trouble, right. what have you done then? What have you done? Yeah. So is this a quality control issue based on people manufacturing it wrong? This might sound stupid, but if you said that hemp doesn't have THC in it, or almost no THC, how are these products getting contaminated with THC? Yeah, so this is a really interesting space. And again, this goes across the supplement industry is that you basically have to pay somebody to test your product for you and make mm -hmm. sure that nothing is in there. And so it is something, you know, for example, let's say you create a product and you test the first batch, but you don't test batch three, four, five, six, and seven. Mm -hmm. It could potentially be that you get a certificate that says, yeah, this is great. There's no THC. But then you start using different products and there's THC contamination. And this is why when we're seeing it being legalized in specific states right now, specifically cannabis, um, and Vermont is one that has recently legalized cannabis use for adult use or recreational use, um, one of the major hurdles to getting this going in states is this testing protocol. And so the state creates these testing facilities that if you want to sell in Vermont, you have to get them tested continuously in these, in these testing facilities. When it comes to actually producing, do you know how the production of CBD products works, separating the CBD from the hemp? Yeah. So there is a really cool company that I work with down um, just south of Boston um, that basically does all of their own extractions. And so I've done a significant amount of touring and work with their scientist that does this. The interesting thing is that CBD and THC are both fat soluble. So if you've ever taken a nutrition class, you know that you need fat in order to get it out. Um, and so there's basically, if you've ever taken a chemistry class before, it's this distillation process where you use fat soluble solvents and you extract that CBD. And the other thing that's really fascinating is that once you get the CBD out, there's all this other stuff left over. So. Like if you've ever made juice before, if you've got a juicer, right, you get right. the juice out, but then you've got all this pulp, right? Yeah. Same thing happens when you do the extraction. So the other cool thing about what's going on in this space is CBD and THC aren't the only molecules in cannabis and hemp. Mm -hmm. There are a ton of others that are just being classified that we're realizing that are there that are kind of in this leftover stuff. So... There's a lot to be discovered, but yeah, there's this really impressive extraction process that basically renders everything that's not CBD waste, mm -hmm. and then you have the molecule. Looking at cannabis, does cannabis contain a lot of CBD? Yes. So um, cannabis will have pretty much the same profile of CBD as hemp plus the THC. Okay. The number I was talking about before with the first paper, in German products, they said more than 30% 
were contaminated with a significant amount of THC. Yeah, that's not surprising. Which is pretty astonishing. Yeah, um, so, I mean, think about it. Like, if you've ever taken a chemistry lab and you had to do some kind of distillation and then you had to test it afterwards mm -hmm. to make sure that your distillation was pure, it's really hard to do that. So, um, these extraction processes need to be super high level. And here's the other thing that's really challenging with this space is that basically you've got a bunch of companies that are trying to do this distillation and trying to do this extraction. Um, they're kind of making it up as they go along. There's no machine that you can buy that does this really well right now. There's no, you know, uh, standardization mm -hmm. of between companies. And so this is where you start to get problems. So the third article was called the potential role of CBD on sports recovery. And essentially the entire thing was just saying how the research is promising. They believe that there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of good to come out of CBD. How do you stand on this? Well, this is really exciting for me because it basically creates a career path for me that there's right. more than enough research to be done, um, which is exciting in and of itself. But um, the thing is with CBD, and as I mentioned, we don't really know how it works, which provides some really awesome basic science research to understand what CBD is doing in your body. And the interesting thing that we're seeing, and I think the paper really called this out well, is that there are these receptors in your body for CBD, um, CB1 and CB2 receptors that are kind of all over the place. So they're in your nervous system, they're in your brain, they're in your muscle. But here's the crazy thing is we don't actually think CBD binds to those. What does bind to them are what we call endocannabinoids. Mm -hmm. And these are ca cannabinoids or molecules that look like CBD that your body makes naturally. So this is happening in your system without taking a supplement. And what might be happening, and we don't really know this yet, but what might be happening is that when you take CBD, those endogenous or internal um, endocannabinoids don't break down as well. And so you get this benefit from the stuff that you're already making because the CBD kind of like keeps them strong and keeps them robust and keeps them from breaking down. And then they can bind to the receptors. So this is where we see a lot of potential is what can we do to understand what's going on in your body already and how we can enhance it with these supplements. You might know it if you've ever had runner's high, mm -hmm. or people say that you have endorphins. Right. These are the molecules that make you feel really good. They help your immune system. They help modulate your stress and your anxiety. Um, and that might be what CBD is doing, but we mm -hmm. don't really know yet. So do the endorphins have a similar molecular structure to CBD? Yeah, they look almost exactly the same. So anandamide is the big one that's in your bloodstream that you make. There's also one, um, I think it's called AG2. And these two look really similar to CBD. They don't look very similar to THC. That's the interesting part. Mm -hmm. So this is why we think CBD might be I'm not going to use the word better, but different than THC for modulating these things in your body. Right. So the CB1 and CB2. Yep. The receptors. The receptors. So they don't. In so if they don't interact with the CBD molecules, what what are they interacting with? What do we know that they're already interacting with? So they do definitely interact with THC. Okay. So that for sure, THC binds those receptors. And they also interact with these endogenous or internal cannabinoids that you make. Mm -hmm. So what CBD is doing, 
could be blocking THC from binding, mm -hmm. could be enhancing the internal ones, but we need to figure that out. Do these receptors have any other purposes in the body? Right now, we're not 100% sure. Um, they were only just discovered in the 1990s. And so, although that sounds like a long time ago, you were probably born in the 1990s, uh, maybe even later. There we go. <laughs> um, so, that sounds like a long time ago, but in research time, that's only 30 years or so. That's like barely enough time to really get an understanding of what this, what's going on here. And this is the thing that I think is frustrating to the general population is research is so slow. Like it's really right. hard to figure all this stuff out because you have to take it step by step by step. And this is where products kind of get ahead of themselves is they say, oh, look, this this is happening in cells, this is happening in mice, we're gonna make it a product and tell mm -hmm. people that it's also happening in humans, and we don't really know. And then once people realize that might not be true, once the research does that, it kind of takes too long. So the research lags behind the marketing, and then people buy into it, but then trends come and go. Always. So what if, what if in five, 10 years we figure out, oh, CBD has a great use for this, but that wave has gone and passed and no one cares anymore. Yeah, this is the problem. And this is why I do kind of secondary to all of the research and the teaching that I do, I do a ton of science communication because I think it's really important that we understand these processes in ways that, you know, normal people that aren't research scientists can understand. Right. And your Instagram, you always have some great stories putting up on all the nutrition myths and <laughs> gym bros, all those kinds of posting on Instagram. Love the gym bros. Of course. <laughs> So uh, moving on to the randomized controlled trials, the studies found no difference in non-invasive and invasive trials using a, these are two different trials. So one used a 60 milligram uh, CBD drink, one used 150 milligram cream in recovery. In markers of, of uh, recovery, the studies found no use. Yep. Now, I have a ton of questions about this, but I'll start with the actual uh, intervention. 60 milligrams doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah, so here's the thing. I think this is my hypothesis. We have to test it, right. and I'm applying for grants right now to figure this out. I think CBD does something. I really do. I genuinely believe that it has a physiologic effect on your body, and part of the reason that I think that is twofold. First, there's a lot of really good studies in animals that show this might be doing something. The other is there are a, there's a drug that has been developed um, that uses CBD at, but it uses them at doses that are like 600 milligrams and 750 milligrams, and that seems to have an effect. And so my theory is that CBD does something, what? I'm not really sure yet. So we can talk about muscle and muscle recovery and what that means. Um, I think it might have an effect there, but here's what I really think. The doses that you can get at the grocery store or the gas station or GNC or whatever are so small that you're probably not gonna see a physiologic benefit. And this medication, you said? Yeah, so these it, medications... Is it taken orally? Yep, it's an oral medication. And then there's another one that I think you can squirt up your nose. Okay. Yeah. That sounds fun. <laughs> then there's a, a cream. Yep. So CBD creams are huge. I see them all the time. Do you, does, it, does this product get absorbed through your skin? Oh, such a good question. 
So one of the, you know, we think about research taking a stepwise you know, fashion. One of the things that you need to do first when you develop something like this, whether it's oral or you're going to rub it on your skin, is does it actually get into your bloodstream, right? right? And so one of the things that's really interesting and why you probably need a high dose is because CBD is a really unstable molecule and it doesn't get absorbed orally very well. The, rec the idea is that it's probably somewhere between 20 and 40% of what you take actually ends up mm -hmm. in your bloodstream. When you rub it on your skin the data gets even more fuzzy. So this is really fascinating. The only good data that we have to show whether or not rubbing it on your skin gets into your bloodstream has been done in animals, particularly in dogs. So it's possible that these products are getting into your skin. And it's also possible, and I've seen this a lot, that there's a ton of products for dogs that are being developed with CBD. That might work for them. Um, but whether or not it gets into your bloodstream from on humans when you rub it on your skin, it's unclear. How different is dog skin from a human skin? <laughs> this is a great question. I honestly don't really know the answer to that. Oh, no. Yeah, I have no idea. I imagine that it's similar, but who knows? It could who be knows? that there's something else going on there. Yeah. So the study also found a small significant indication of increase in CK, which is creatine kinase, and myoglobin concentration after 72 hours. Do you think there's more to this? Or the study su suggested that maybe a longer dosing period or a higher concentration would actually have a mark marked effect. Do you know why they might find an increase in CK and myoglobin concentration? So. Not really, honestly. So this is, I think, really important. When we say muscle recovery, there are a lot of things that you can look at. So I know as you know, athletes or as people, when we say muscle recovery, what we're trying to say generally is my body feels better, I can go back and do the activity more quickly, right? Right. The problem is, is that there are about 6,432 biomarkers that we can look at that have an effect on muscle recovery. Right. And so when we look at creatine kinase, which is an indicator of your muscle breaking down and then rebuilding, and then we looked at myoglobin, which is an indicator of how much oxygen essentially your, your muscles are able to use, those are two good ones to look at when you're thinking about muscle recovery, but they're not the only ones. So other things that I would wanna look at are markers of inflammation, and I think mm -hmm. uh, that, that paper might have also found no change no in inflammation. No changes in inflammation. Yeah, um, and then there are other markers that you could think about looking at, um, and Dr. Welch does her work on this, is heart rate recovery um, and heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. And so the way that your circulatory system is gonna interact with your muscles is gonna be really important too. And so I think it's not surprising to me that they found a couple of markers because, like I said, there are thousands that you could look at. And when you do research, it might be that something changed just by chance. And this is why we need to do more and more research. But, um, yeah, those are two interesting markers. It potentially could indicate that CBD had something going on there. It could also be just Just random. happened. Yeah. Right. Creatine kinase is interesting because that is, that's a measure of your, correct me if I'm wrong, your phosphogen system creating energy, in, which is an anaerobic system to create energy, correct? Yep. 
So when you exert yourself, your creatine kinase levels go down. When you exert yourself, you're going to see fluctuations in your creatine kinase levels. Yeah. Okay. So what this study was trying to say is there was a small significant increase in creatine kinase levels post-workout, indicating that creatine kinase may have recovered more quickly. It's possible. So here's the thing with creatine kinase is, remember, so this is an enzyme. So right. anything that ends in ASC is an enzyme. Um, so when you look at creatine kinase, it's going to be increased when you are use, using the system that you uh -huh. just talked about, and then it will be released. And so the timing is everything when you look at creatine kinase. So if you, for example, had somebody exercise and then you looked at them immediately afterwards, you might see that creatine kinase is increased and then afterwards, you know, 48 hours later, it's decreased. So everything that you're looking at is also really important on timing of when the exercise happened. Let's say CBD affected another indicator of muscle recovery, the broad term. If your muscles are recovered better, would that lead to then a higher level in CK or maybe a myoglobin concentration because you are more recovered or more prepared to exercise? So this is where things start to get tricky, right? Is when you look at these markers, again, really important on timing, right? And when we look at CBD, one of, the, one of the claims of CBD is that you will come back to, and I'm using air quotes, although you can't see it, right. homeostasis. That is the term that you see all the time on marketing. And what that's indicating is that it helps your body come back to its normal, regular resting levels as quickly as possible, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the problem. When we talk about homeostasis, we're basically saying that this is what is going on in your body if there are no stimuli affecting it whatsoever. So here's something that's super important. When you, and this was really fascinating to me when I was doing my graduate work, when you exercise, you are naturally going to increase inflammation. And that's really, really important. You want to increase inflammation because it's indicating in your tissues, in your muscle, that something is wrong and it's signaling to your immune system that they should go and fix it. And when your immune system goes and fixes it, that's when your muscles get stronger. So here's the problem. When we look at things like creatine kinase or myoglobin, the question is, is CBD bringing them back to a normal level and that is good mm -hmm. because you're at a normal level? Or is it not good because they weren't able to do the job that they were supposed to do at these elevated or you know, lowered attenuated levels, we call them. So I'll give you an example. Right now, the whole supplement world is nuts about having anti-inflammatory stuff, right? right? So it could be a powder, it could be a greens powder, it could be, you know, whatever. And the claim is that when you exercise, you become inflamed and you want to decrease that inflammation because inflammation is bad. And what we're finding, and this is super fascinating, is that if you take ibuprofen or one of these super anti-inflammatory supplements, you actually impede muscle recovery. Right. 
So if I was to take your blood marker, it would say your inflammation is down, which you could generally say is good, right? Mm -hmm. Like lower inflammation is good. But in this case, it's bad because you want that inflammation to tell your body to do its job. So this is where the CBD work gets really fascinating is I can tell you, yeah, creatine kinase up, myoglobin up right. is good or bad. Right. The question is what is CBD doing to it and is it doing it in a way that's gonna be helpful mm -hmm. or like an anti-inflammatory, is it doing it in a way that could potentially be harmful? Right. I know that's complicated, but this is why this is so important is you can't just paint, paint these products with a broad brush and say, oh, it's anti-inflammatory, therefore it's good. The timing is everything. And I'm glad you said that because I've been in this um, anti, I'll say anti-icing, anti-Advil group for a while and I don't get a lot of backing for it. Well, you got, you got my backing. I got your backing. Yeah, is cryotherapy is really not good for recovery. Right, and um, whether you're going to a trainer and they say, you say, oh, my knee hurts, and the first thing they say is go grab a bag of ice and the history behind that is very interesting too, but the idea that we want to not have inflammatory, the idea that we don't want to feel um, maybe not pain, but go through the healing process. I Hello listeners. Thank you for making it this far into the Book Strong podcast. I have some bad news and good news. First, the bad news. This episode is cut short due to hardware issues, which could have completely been avoided had I been more competent, but I am not. So that is all you have for the content that day. Now the good news is I met up with Dr. Progenic again, and she gave us some pretty exciting news. So keep listening, we got some good news. All right, so I'm super excited to tell you about an update to the CBD grant. So I submitted a grant, as I was talking about last time, to look at and understand the difference between how people perceive they feel when they're taking CBD and what's actually happening in their body. And so I received this fantastic pilot grant from the Vermont Biomedical Research Network, which is a derivative of the NIH that supports small rural um, researchers. And as it turns out, they were really excited to understand what's going on with CBD given how many products are available now in Vermont and across the globe. Um, but for this particular grant, what we're looking at is the difference between how people feel when they're taking CBD, and we're gonna compare people that take CBD and don't take CBD, and see if they feel differently about the way that their muscles feel after exercise. And then what we're gonna do is take a subset of this group, so we're gonna start with 150 people and just ask them how they feel with some validated surveys. And then we're gonna take a subset of 24 people and we're going to actually look in their blood. So we'll look at people that use CBD that they buy themselves, so that you, and the stuff that you can get at the grocery store or a gas station, um, and people that don't. And so what we want to understand is if people say that they feel more recovered because they're taking CBD, is this actually manifesting itself in their blood biomarkers? And so we're going to be looking at 
markers of inflammation. We're going to be looking at markers of how their liver is handling CBD because we don't have any good safety data. And we're going to be looking at some markers of muscle recovery as well. And the interesting thing about this grant is that it's actually going to be 100% in active females. One of the things that's really a problem in sports medicine research right now is that only, depending on what study you look at, about 6 to 13% of studies are done in female subjects. And so we have a real lack of data in this particular population. And so we're hoping to fill essentially two areas of um, data that we're missing. One is what's going on with CBD and more specifically what's going on with CBD in active females. So it's a really exciting new line of research and it's all happening here at Norwich University. And now I'll leave you with a few great words. Just when you think you have all the answers, you need to start asking new ones. Louis Simmons, thank you for all you've done for the sport of strength and conditioning. I'll see you guys next time when we talk with Tex O'Quilkin at Power Athlete. See ya.